I confess on the teaching this morning, you know, sometimes you feel like the student and sometimes you're the teacher. I feel like what I'm talking about this morning, I'm more the student than the teacher on, so I'll, I'll uh, give you my best, but it's not, uh, uh, it's something I've struggled with a little bit, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, 142 years ago tomorrow, Christmas Day, 1864, a famous American poet penned a poem. And later, within about 10 years, that poem was taken by another guy and he edited it a little bit and added a melody line and turned it into a Christmas carol. Do you know who I'm talking about, Teresa? The theme of this poem that turned into a Christmas song that you guys, there's so many Christmas songs, but you might hear it every Christmas for all I know. I don't, I don't know. It's one of my favorites. Um, the theme was peace on earth. It was about peace. Peace on earth is one of the key elements of this poem. And if you realize the setting in which the poem and, and then, of course, the song came, it gives more impetus to value the message. The poet was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and the poem was, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Now, to just give you the background for the writing of this poem, which is now a Christmas carol, this was the deal. You remember the Civil War started in 1861. That same year, Longfellow's wife, Fanny, burned to death before his eyes in their home. She was preserving, using a candle and wax to, prefer, to preserve some clippings from her daughter's hair. And she had on this new dress, very lightweight, and some of this hot wax fell on her dress. And a breeze came through the house and her dress burst into flames. And she caught on fire. She ran into Henry's study. He got a rug. He tried to smother the fire. It was ineffective. He used his hands and his arms to smother the fire on his wife as well. And she died the next day. He was so severely burned, he couldn't go to her funeral. In fact, if you've seen portraits of Longfellow, you see him with a beard. He couldn't shave after this because his face was damaged from the burns he suffered that same day. Civil War started 1861. He lost his wife, Fanny, that same year. He said at Christmas 1861, How inexpressibly sad are all holidays. He said in the next year, 1862, he wrote, I can make no record of these days. Better leave them wrapped in silence. Perhaps someday God will give me peace. And then on Christmas Day in 1862, he wrote, A Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. So this is the guy and this is the setting out of which that poem and that Christmas hymn were written. Now, in 1864, on Christmas Day, you remember also the setting, about, at this point, about 600,000 men in the Union, about, guys, this is staggering, 3% of the population had already died in the Civil War. And the North was making advances, certainly, but the end of the war was nowhere in sight, Christmas Day, 1864. We didn't know how long it was going to go on. The death toll was immense. His own son Charles had been shot in the war, I think it was a year or two earlier, almost died, went through his shoulder and his back. So the setting for Longfellow, this was the setting. The setting was the Civil War. The setting was his own personal anguish and loss within his family and his wife within the last four years. That's the background for the setting of the poem, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Let me read that for you. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. Wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. 
and thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's most of the poem. We'll conclude it in a little bit. But you can see for Longfellow, the poem shows two things. One, it shows the real desire for peace, peace on earth, and it's in the face of despair and anguish and loss. We're looking for peace on earth. He's looking for peace on earth. And it doesn't look like it's to be had. You know, his was a day of warfare, personal loss. You know, frankly, in many ways, it's not unlike our own day. We're a nation at war. And it's not just, the numbers are not the same. We're appalled at 3,000 American deaths and every death is a tragedy. The Civil War was 600,000. We have no concept of the magnitude of the loss behind the writing of this poem. But we, in our own little ways, even today, we're a nation at war. Terrorism affects all of us every day in one way or another. All of us have personal anguish. We suffer loss, disappointment, etc. So maybe we can empathize a little bit with Longfellow here this morning, looking for peace on earth and wondering where it's at. And of course, the phrase Longfellow's quoting, peace on earth, goodwill to men, is straight out of Luke's gospel, chapter 2. Let me read that, Luke 2, 8 through 14. In the same region there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow's refrain comes straight out of Luke 2. The angel announcement, peace on earth, goodwill to men. The question, it begs the question in his day or ours, where's the peace? Where is peace? What does it look like and how do we get it? Uh, peace is a, an old Latin word, pax, pax is uh, Kent thinking of, yeah, Latin pax. If you've heard phrases like pax romana, the peace of Rome, uh, that's, that's what we get. Our English word comes from the Latin pax. If you look in a dictionary, almost, almost without exception, the dictionary definitions of peace have to do with the negative. That is, they describe the absence of a thing. So let me run down this list quickly. Peace in the World English Dictionary is freedom from war. Peace is a calm and quiet state free from disturbances or noise. Peace is a state of mental calm and serenity with no anxiety. Peace is freedom from conflict or disagreement among people or groups of people. Peace is a treaty agreeing to end hostilities between warring parties. 
Peace is the absence of violence or other disturbances within a state. Almost all, two exceptions here, almost all the absence of something. Peace is the absence of something. Now, if you look in history or even if you look in your own life, the absence of conflict is a good and an important thing. So peace, even if you're thinking of just the negative, I don't have something, this is an important component of peace. I'm free from warfare. I'm free from conflict. I'm free from conflict of one sort or another. This is a good thing. Biblically, though, the absence of a negative is not all that describes peace. And in fact, when you look especially in the Old Testament, you see the Hebrew word salem or shalom doesn't just mean this absence of conflict. It has to do with this positive side of life. So the shalom kind of peace means life that's whole or it's complete. It's a sound state of well-being. So on one hand, peace is a negative. It's the absence of warfare or conflict. But it's also on the positive side. It's this positive wholeness or complete element to life. In a sense, it's life as it's supposed to be. That's the Hebrew thought of peace. So the absence of a negative, but the positive wholeness or well-being in life as well. We might further flesh out this thought or this image of peace. Peace could be said to be a quiet confidence, positively. Peace is the ability to stand and fight or give up the battle without fear either way. I have peace. Peace is the knowledge that you're where you belong, doing the things you're meant to do. That sense of shalom, of life is whole because I'm where I belong, doing what I'm intended to do. Peace is the gift of God that allows you to enjoy all the other gifts of God. If you don't have peace, how much can you enjoy life? If you have conflict, how much can you enjoy the other gifts God gives? You can give a man all the wealth of the world, And if he doesn't have peace, he doesn't have the foundation from which he can enjoy all those other blessings. Peace is the foundation of a life well lived. I'm suggesting this morning, and actually uh, I want to talk about three spheres of peace. If you say, what does peace look like? Then we can describe how we get it. But what does peace look like? Three things, three arenas for peace. One is vertical. Biblically, you'll see there's this key concept, peace between me and God. Peace between me and God. Peace on the vertical plane. There's also, though, peace between me and you or peace between man and man. That's on the horizontal plane. And then there's peace internal, peace within my own soul. Each one of these spheres or these relationships has its own elements related to peace. The first one, peace between God and man, Uh, Bar none, this is the most important kind of peace any one of us can have. If you don't have this peace, you really don't have a foundation for peace between others, and you certainly don't have a foundation for peace within your own soul. Peace between us and God is the critical peace. If you get that, then everything else is a possibility. If you don't have that, you have no peace. You have no foundation for peace. You know, it's hard to believe, and especially when you look... uh, at, you know, if you look in the mirror and you see this good-looking person looking back at you and this nice person, kind person, whatever, it's hard to believe that we are born at odds with God. You know, and that if, uh, if you look at your life in one way or another, even as Christians, you'll see that your life doesn't measure up. You're not the person God meant you to be. You might be a fine person, a nice person, a kind person. But in the honest moments, we know none of us are what we should be. 
And certainly as non-Christians, all of us born into this life like our parents at odds with God. We're in the city devoted to destruction. We're born on the line, wrong side of the Mason-Dixon line. We're at odds with our Maker. We don't have peace with God as we are born into this world. We're born in a battle and we're not at peace with God. And so God has to do something for us in this realm where we can't know peace. Listen to what Peter tells uh, Cornelius, the first Gentile convert in Acts 10 verse 36. When he's telling him the gospel, he says, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. The possibility of peace with God comes through Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1, certainly one of the most important verses in all the Bible. Paul says, Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I gain peace. Anyone in this world gains peace with God, with our Maker, born at odds. We gain peace through faith in Christ. We gain peace with God. The enmity, the antagonism that's that's a given between God and us is set aside, we're declared right through faith in Christ, and then we have peace with God. This is the peace you can't live without. Certainly in time it's difficult, but in eternity you can't go there. To be reconciled with God is to gain peace with God. Colossians 1.20 says of Jesus, He made peace through the blood of His cross. It was Jesus' incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, His death in our place that provided peace for you and I, peace between us and God. We can only know peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's the whole, that is the gospel. This is the most important kind of peace you can have. If you don't have this peace, you muddle your way through life and you die separated from Christ and God and all goodness for eternity. We're born at enmity with God. If we go through life unreconciled, we die at enmity with God. We're not free to partake of His goodness. We don't have peace with God. This is the peace that provides the possibility of all other pieces. And this is the peace that we will enjoy in eternity. Those who trusted Christ, if you're a Christian, this is the peace you're headed for. This is the peace you'll enjoy in some muddled way here on earth, but this is the peace you'll enjoy fully in eternity. Peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is simple. God offers us the gift of reconciliation and being reconciled we have peace with God, the foundation for all other kinds of peace. The second peace is peace between us with each other, peace on the horizontal plane. A few verses on this. Um, Ephesians talks about this, maybe one of the critical verses, Ephesians 2.14. Paul says of Jesus, He Himself is our peace who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Let me explain this briefly. Paul's a Jew. And he's writing in a world in which basically you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. You know, we live in a day in which there's ethnic or racial strife, one sort or another, national strife, whatever. In Paul's day, it was Jews versus Gentiles. So he says in this this world setting where you're a Jew or a Gentile and the two don't mix. Remember, a Jew couldn't go into a Gentile's house, for instance. In this world, he says Jesus has come in, he who is in himself peace... And he's broken down barriers that divided Jews and Gentiles and he's put them together in one new person or one new family. Jesus, who is peace, 
broken down barriers, and he's made two groups that were antagonistic to one another. Now they've been united in Christ. They're at peace with one another. This is the kind of peace I'm talking about on the horizontal plane. We have peace with each other through Christ. Peace is, Christ is the peace giver. He comes in. He breaks down walls that keep groups separated and in antagonism towards one another, and He brings peace. Preeminently, this was true between Jews and Gentiles. He then says things like this in Ephesians 4.3. He says, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Work hard at preserving what Christ has made, which is this peace. You don't create peace with others. Paul says it's created by Christ's Spirit, but your part is to work hard, diligently, to maintain it, to preserve it. That is, it's possible to lose this kind of peace. Romans 12.8, this is a key phrase. This is one my girls have heard from me routinely. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone, or be at peace with everyone, or with all people. You can't control other people. I mean, frankly, most of the time we don't control ourselves well. We certainly can't control other people. But Paul phrases this horizontal kind of peace this way. He says, as far as it depends on you, what you say, what you do, where you go, your attitude, etc., as far as you have any control, you be at peace with others. You have Christ, you have the source of all peace, you be at peace with others. And then in Romans 14, 19, make every effort to do what leads to peace. Now this peace, this horizontal plane peace, this peace between you and those around you, this is of the three kinds of peace. This is the most iffy, if you will. That is, this peace is not wholly dependent just between you and God. The first and the last are. Only you and God control the peace between you and God and in your own soul. Others don't. Neither one of those others. This one, others do. As far as it depends on you, as far as you have control, you be at peace. This kind of peace you'll experience in your life kind of in an ebb and flow way or maybe waves or seasonally. In other words, sometimes you're going to have conflict with other people. Your goal is to be at peace as far as it depends on you. You make peace as far as you can. But there will be times in which you have conflict because it's outside your control. This kind of horizontal peace the church is supposed to demonstrate to the world. And just ask yourself this question. How, how good a job uh, do you do? And then does the church do? We as a group and then the church larger, the universal church. of How good a job do we do at displaying this kind of horizontal peace with each other? This is a tough question. It, uh, it makes you think. But you know, just as marriage on earth is supposed to be a picture of Christ's love for the church and the church's love and respect for Christ, the church is supposed to also be this living demonstration of peace between people, the horizontal kind of peace. You know, frankly, uh, read the news, read the papers, read Christian magazines. You know, we do not have a great testimony. But the church is supposed to be a place in which you can see the horizontal kind of peace consistently demonstrated. As far as it depends on you, Paul says, be at peace with all people. And within the church, Paul says, there's a unity that's created by the Spirit of Christ living in each one of us. 
And our job is to maintain that unity, and it's described as a union of, of peace. We should experience as a norm peace between ourselves and other Christians. This should be the norm. In life, this kind of peace is going to come and go, ebb and flow, sometimes more, sometimes less, because we will have conflict. Jesus has certainly made that clear. But as far as it depends on us, be at peace, Paul says, with all men. The third kind of peace, and maybe the one most of us struggle with most often, is the interior peace, peace in your own soul, peace in your own soul. Some of the verses that I'll read here you heard a couple weeks ago when we looked at joy, but Romans 14, 17, Paul describes the kingdom of God as righteousness and peace. That is, as a Christian living under Christ's rule, one of the things you should experience is peace. You know, it's not about eating and drinking. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about days and seasons. It's about peace. To belong to Christ and His kingdom is supposed to be an experience for you of His peace. To live under Christ's reign should be to experience His peace. The fruit of the Spirit, we talked about joy two weeks ago, but the fruit of the Spirit, that is the the outworking of the Spirit of Christ within each one of us should be to produce peace in us. Love, joy, and peace. As a Christian, the Spirit of God is living in you, reproducing Christ's life in you, and a huge part of that should be internal peace. Peace in your own soul should be the fruit of being a Christian. The Holy Spirit reproducing the nature of Christ in you should produce peace. Romans 8, 6 says, The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. That is, as you and I obey Christ, as we invest in spiritual life, as we read our Bibles, as we pray, as we obey, that is, as we're led and controlled by the Spirit, the outcome of that should be that we experience more and more of this internal kind of peace. Have you ever met someone who, when you came away from them, you realize they're at peace with themselves, they're at peace with the world. You don't see a lot of people like that. And I realize when I read books or see movies, if there's a character who displays this kind of peace, I realize I'm always, I'm drawn to that character because of this quality. They're at peace with themselves. So they're absent all those other struggles, all the other strife. They're at peace within themselves. This is a huge issue The Spirit of Christ is supposed to be free to make that our experience on a daily basis. This should be the norm. We should be, as Christians, experiencing peace. One of the best known of the Old Testament passages talking about the incarnation is Isaiah 9, verse 6. It's one that we'll hear tonight. But Isaiah said there, uh, To us a child is born. This would be the Messiah, of course. A son is given, the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor. He's the Mighty God. He's the Everlasting Father. And he's the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That is when the Messiah reigns, Isaiah said, he brings peace with him. He he is the Prince who brings in peace. And so when he's ruling in the world, what's it demonstrated by? Its, Its demonstration is peace on earth. When Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes, He brings peace with Him. If you look in the Gospels, I'm I'm thinking especially of John's Gospel, John chapter 20, when Jesus has come back from the dead, the disciples are full of fear and anxiety, not peace. 
They're hiding in that upper room. When Jesus comes in and sees them and they see him and they're not sure if he's a ghost or what it, what's going on, Jesus' first words to them are, Peace be with you. Three times in John 20, that's what he says to them. Peace be with you. I'm giving you peace. My will for you is peace. Peace be with you. Romans 1, 7. I love this about the epistles. Every time Paul sat down to write God's words to a church in his day that come down to us today, this is how he started. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When God begins to address you or I on anything, when you read the epistles, the first words out of God's mouth through the pen of the apostles are grace and peace. That is, you have God's favor and you have His peace. Grace and peace are yours from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We should experience, it's kind of like it's the package, like joy, it's as if it's a Christmas package all wrapped up. God is handing to us saying, you have my grace, you have my favor, and you have my peace. This is the norm. Philippians 4, 7, that Paul says, The peace of God which transcends understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We often think of peace as that absence of the negative. Here, Paul says, peace is like a guard on your life. I love this thought. Peace is like a security guard at the entrance of your soul. And peace will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. If you have the possession of peace, the peace Christ gives us, it's as good as having a guard, Paul says, around your emotions and your mind. It's not just the absence of conflict. Peace is a positive asset that guards your thoughts, that guards your emotions. Uh, David wrote in Psalm 4, 8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. This internal peace within your soul is not dependent on your circumstances. If you think of David, this was a guy who was chased around by a king and his army trying to kill him every day. This was a guy who faced death in battle all the time. And David's response is this, I'm going to lie down, and I'm going to sleep peacefully because I've entrusted myself to God. God's the one who takes care of me. I can sleep in peace. You know, when you worry, when you give up peace and you're consumed by angst and worry, what do you lose? You lose sleep. You turn in your bed at night, fearfully, fretfully turning things over for lack of peace. David, faced with conflicts daily, says, when I lie down at night, I'm at peace and I sleep because I have God's peace. He's going to take care of the things that concern me. This kind of peace does not depend on what's going on around you. This kind of peace you can enjoy no matter what else is going on. This peace within your soul, just like David, whether you're chaste, whether life's good or bad, this peace within your soul should be your constant companion, should be the guard, if you will, at the door of your mind and your emotions, this peace that David enjoyed. By the way, in our culture, I'm convinced one of the reasons we live the frenetic lifestyle that we do, one of the reasons we overeat, we drink, we use and abuse one thing and another, the list is endless. We watch TV, we entertain ourselves to death, you name it, on and on. It's because we don't have peace. And so in lieu of peace, you cover up this hole of peace with everything else you can pile on. 
because temporarily it kind of takes your mind off the fact that things aren't right inside. So we subdue ourselves, we inoculate ourselves, whatever. We pacify ourselves with things that aren't what we really need. They don't produce peace. But temporarily they kind of distract our mind from the truth that we're not at peace. We lack something we're supposed to have. And so we substitute everything under the sun for it. When basically God is saying, you've got my peace. Here it is. Now sometimes, of course, we may lack peace because we need to confess something to God. I'm not going into a lot of this about how we get it this morning just to describe it primarily. But sometimes we lack the inner peace because we're at odds with God. In that situation, we've got to confess our sins. The sin alienates us from God, not because we lose our salvation, but because we've distanced ourselves from our dad. We've turned our back and gone the other way. and <clears throat> That's what sin does. In that case, we simply come back to God. First John, we confess our sins. God's already provided the forgiveness for them, and we're restored. We enjoy that peace again. But I'm convinced most of us live the busy lives we do, and we participate in all kinds of things because we're not experiencing peace. And if we had God's peace, we'd be free from pursuing any one of a number of other distractions. The bottom line is that peace is God's idea, and it is this special Christmas present that He wraps up, if you will, every day to give us. Peace is God's idea, and He's the one who announced it in Luke 2. Remember those angels? You know, angel just means messenger. They weren't coming up with these words to those shepherds by themselves. They were giving God's message to the world. Those angels, God's messengers, declaring God's message to the earth in Luke 2, peace on earth, goodwill to men. The announcement of the incarnation of Jesus Christ was the announcement of peace on earth. It was God's declaration of peace on earth. God's will for you, God's will for me, God's will for all those who know Him is peace. It's your experience of peace on earth. Peace on earth in time, peace for eternity to come. You know, Christmas is a busy time. This is Christmas Eve. It'll be a busy day, I'm sure. Tomorrow will be a busy day. You know, amidst the hustle and amidst all the busy things that'll be going on and burnt dinners or uh, friendly relatives or less friendly relatives, you know, whatever it is you're facing this weekend or this week, remember that in the midst of it, no matter what else is going on, you can have peace with God. As far as it depends on you, you can be peace with those around you. And you can certainly enjoy peace within your own soul no matter what's going on today and tomorrow, this busy Christmas season. What better way to honor Christ, if you will, on Christmas than enjoying the peace He came to the world to give? When He comes to the world, the angels say, peace on earth. After His resurrection, He says, peace to you. My peace I give you. Our failure to enjoy God's peace is, in a sense, a failure to really honor Christ by enjoying the things He came to earth to give and He died to give us. Listen how Henry closes that well-known Christmas carol, though. He talked about the cannons of war silencing, as it were, the carol bells of peace on earth. But the last stanza says this, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. 
This was true of the cannon fire in the Civil War for Longfellow. And it's true for us today with war in Afghanistan and Iraq. It's true with terrorism. It's true with personal failure. It's true with the conflicts you experience personally in the world around you. God's not dead. He doesn't sleep. And that echo of the Christmas angels 2,000 years ago, it's still here. God's still providing for us peace on earth. Remember, Christ died to give us peace. I mean, for, for Christ's sake, for your own sake, if you don't know Christ, this is the peace you, you can't afford to die without. There's credit card commercials. This is the card you really need. You know, you can't afford. This is the peace you can't afford to live without. The peace between you and God provided by Christ, it's accepted through faith. The other thing is commit yourself. We talked about anxiety about a month and a half ago. Commit yourself not only not to be anxious to avoid conflict, commit yourself to the shalom kind of peace, the enjoyment of that kind of peace. This Christmas you can start, but carry it on into 2007. Christ means for you to enjoy His kind of peace. And last, in the turbulent world around you, be a peacemaker. You know, leave this kind of peace with those you're interacting with. Refuse to get drawn into arguments. Refuse to be a conflict maker. Blessed are the peacemakers. You have peace with God. You can have peace as far as it depends on you with others. You can have peace within and you can leave peace with the others you're interacting with this Christmas season. Let's pray. Lord, I know the value of peace because I've experienced it myself. Lord, nothing tastes good when I'm at odds with you. Life's not sweet or fun or exhilarating when I'm at odds with you or with others. Lord, the angels said that when you were born into this world, it was a declaration of peace on earth and goodwill or blessing to men. Father, I pray that you would help us honor you by embracing this kind of peace, by shouting out this kind of peace, by living it and by sharing it with others. This Christmas and always, in Jesus' name, amen.